Hi, thank you for listening to Trinity San Diego Podcast. If this is your first time tuning in with us, we want you to know that you are loved. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message will encourage you. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, you can help us by reaching others by investing at trinitysandiego.org slash give. Thanks again for joining us. Now here's Pastor Katie. Um, hey, so... I'm going to be talking not just to the ladies today. I hope that's okay, guys. Is that okay? I mean, this is a Mother's Day message. This is for women, but I believe that men can take stuff away too, okay? So don't don't just like shut down right now, okay? I want you to stay engaged. And if you're a woman in the room, okay, I have something I need you to do. You ready? I want you to say as loud as you possibly can, I am woman and hear me roar. Do it right now. Come on. We're going to do this all morning. That was, ooh, I, I hear some roars coming up. Okay, let's do it one more time in unison. One, two, three. I am woman. Hear me roar. That felt good. Does that feel good? Yeah. All right. You know, I, I think it's, uh, it's fitting. Uh, to say that this morning. And usually when we, when we say that, women, I am woman, hear me roar, it's to give some level of empowerment into us, right? It's, it's to bolster our confidence for whatever reason. It's to make a statement about who we are as women. So let's put the negative connotations associated with that phrase aside for this morning, all right? But I think, you know, um, the, the, the energy in the room lifted as soon as all of the women were united and said, I am woman, hear me roar, right? Not just the volume, but the energy lifted. But I think a lot of times women in our society today and what I have seen happen to women as a result of their circumstances, as a result of broken relationships, as a result of frustration with their kids or whatever, they've kind of lost the roar. They've, they've lost a sense of that luster or that, that gusto to wake up every morning and to look the day in the face and to say, yes, I'm going to do this. And f- instead, what I've seen happen to women so often is that they're intimidated by everything that's on their plate, the responsibilities, the, um, all the bills, all of the people demanding things from them, their children demanding things from them, and we want to run away. We actually want to run away from the roar and the the roar of responsibilities. And I was studying just this week about, it's funny, lions, (laughs) so random, right? Okay, but uh, I was thinking about this idea of running from the roar and how so many of us women, whether or not we're running physically from our families or physically from relationships, everybody in here is running from something. Everybody in here is avoiding something, and we're running from something. It might be a church. It might be getting connected to God's house. I don't know what it is for you, but we are all running from something. And uh, like I said, when I was studying about this idea of the roar and what makes us run away from responsibilities or what makes us run to the wrong things— uh, lions are interesting because they, if you know anything about lions, they, they, they uh, have a pride. That's what their pack is called. And there's one alpha male and there's multiple lionesses. Now, if you, you're all picturing the alpha male right now, okay? The big mane, right? Scary looking dude like Mufasa, okay? From The Lion King. 
That is, that is, that's right. Okay, we're going to go. But you guys are all picturing the alpha male, right? And they have a strategy within their pride of how they attack prey. Do you guys know this, that there's a strategy attached? So the alpha male, because he is the most intimidating and scary looking lion and the loudest one, he's the loudest roarer, he is the one that is assigned when they are going on a hunt, he is the one that gets in front of the prey. And he strategically positions himself in front of the prey and makes himself intimidating and large and loud. So he roars as loud as he possibly can in the prey's face, okay? He's right in front. But the lionesses are the ones that actually take the prey out. They're the ones that actually position themselves behind the prey because they're using the intimidation, the appearance of intimidation and fear okay, to make them, to make the prey run towards the trap, okay, but this is what the enemy does in our life, he creates a conglomeration of fear and doubt and worry, he creates a mirage or an illusion of something, an intimidating something in our life that we are facing, and he roars as loud as he possibly can to get us to go into a death trap that he's got for us, he's trying to get us to run away from things that we are supposed to face, in our life. And so some of us this morning need to learn how to run towards the roar. You need to run towards that war, roar. You need to run towards whatever it is that is intimidating you because the enemy is creating a storyline. He's crafting a strategy, okay, of things that saying that you can't do this, you can't stay in that marriage, you can't handle your kids, you can't go in the long haul. And he's creating this thing that makes you want to run the opposite direction. Can I get an amen? Okay, but some of us need to get serious about looking that thing in the face and running towards it because we are not going to allow fear and intimidation and guilt and condemnation to define our destiny. Amen? Okay. So I think moms find themselves particularly in one of two categories when they're running. They're either running from something they shouldn't or they're running to something they shouldn't. And whether or not you are a mom who has run away actually from your responsibilities or even if you've thought about it, you can all identify with wanting to run, right? Because let me tell you something. I will get up here and tell you that I am the pastor of this church, and there are days I want to run away from here. I want to run away from my responsibilities. I want to run away from my calling. I know. It's kind of weird to have a pastor tell the truth, right? Thank you, Clinton. He is our commentary, our commentator. But honestly, I have had to stare some things in the face. And if we're going to go with the Lion King uh, analogy, if we're going to go the lion route, okay, Clinton already, you know, spoil, spoiled my, uh, <laughs> my point here. But what happened with Simba? Okay, let's just go there for a minute. Simba was the main character of the story. And Simba was the heir to the throne. Just like we are co-heirs with Christ, we've got an inheritance that we are moving towards in heaven. Simba was the, the heir to the throne and to, and to his inheritance. But he had a very real enemy, his uncle. And the enemy lured him into the valley. And he was strategically planning to kill him through a stampede. Right? You remember the story? So Simba's in the valley. 
he starts the stampede and he, he's in a situation that looks, that looks intimidating. It is intimidating. It looks like it's going to kill him because his enemy has a plan to kill him and to take him out. And all the while, his dad that's watching out for him comes in and makes the rescue, but sacrifices his own life as a result. And so then you find Simba who's, who's disillusioned in the valley after being knocked over a few times by the wildebeests. I think that's how you say it. Wildebeest? Yeah. After being knocked around a few times, he's disillusioned, he's tired, and he's trying to figure out what just happened because his dad just died. And the enemy comes to him and he says, look what you did. You killed your dad. What are you going to do now? And then he says, like Clinton already prefaced, you're going to run, and you're going to run away, and you're going to never return. And that's exactly what Simba did, and that's what our enemy does to us. When he comes, he's been strategically planning a storyline. He presented a storyline to Simba, and he is strategically planning and planting storylines in our own life to get us to run away from things that will help us. If Simba would have stayed there, he had a support system, he had a family, he had a pride that would, would have come around him. I wonder what kind of storylines the enemy has been presenting to you today that make you want to run in the opposite direction, that make you want to run away from your family, run away from your church family, run away from everything that can help you because you are intimidated, because you are believing a lie from the pit of hell. So I'm going to talk about how we can face these things this morning. And I want to encourage you, though, if you feel, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not up here, you know, with a hammer trying to hammer you, okay? I hope that it doesn't feel that way because I can get intense. Um, so sometimes people are like, whoa, chill. Like, she has no chill. That's what people have said about me. Pastor Katie has no chill. And it's kind of true. I don't have any chill when it comes up to, to preaching the word of God and being up here. But um, if you feel like you've been running from something, or if you are in the middle of a run from something, or if you are about to run from something, you're actually not alone in this. And people have been running from their destinies for centuries in the Bible. I'm going to give you some examples, and I'm going to go through a little bit of content. So if you want to take a screenshot, um, if you want to remember it to reference back, just grab your phones. But um, Moses ran from Pharaoh after he killed the Egyptian. Ended up in the desert for 40 years. Elijah ran in fear from Jezebel, who was the evil queen. After he had, by the way, after he had performed one of the greatest miracles and like upsets in like all of history, he's, uh, Elisha runs away from a woman, okay, with a bad attitude and goes and finds himself hiding under a tree, depressed, okay? Jonah ran away from God when he didn't want to do what God wanted him to do. We all know the story of Jonah, right? He ended up in the belly of a fish, ended up in the depths of the ocean. Even the disciples ran away from Jesus when he was arrested. All of those situations included intimidating roars, basically, that made these people run the opposite direction. And one of the biggest triggers, I think, for moms in particularly, since this is Mother's Day, I think the biggest triggers to running is mom guilt. Do you guys know what mom guilt is? Okay, oh, so lots of moms know. 
And uh, usually when we talk about mom guilt, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll go through the definition since it's already up here. Mom guilt is the feeling of guilt, doubt, anxiousness, or uncertainty experienced by mothers when they worry they're failing or falling short of expectations in some way. For many moms, particularly new, working, or single moms, the variables that contribute to this phenomenon are numerous and intense, okay? Does that resonate with any mamas here? Oh yeah, see, see? And here's the, here's the deal is that usually they asso associate mom guilt with like new mothers, um, people, women who have newborns when they're going back to work or whatever. But what I am here to tell you is that that is not true <laughs> because mom guilt follows you no matter what season of life or mothering that you are in because I do not have newborns at home and I was like, oh good, I don't have newborns anymore. I won't have mom guilt. Big fat lie. Not true. I have mom guilt every day. And that's why I think it's so important to talk about these things because my mom guilt wants to drive me away from my responsibilities. It wants to drive me away from what I know I need to overcome that. Okay, so I wanted to just show, this is practical. This is the practical side of the message. And again, this is a lot of content, but um, there's a researcher named Dr. Brene Brown. You might be familiar with her. She specializes on... Um, studies on vulnerability and shame in, in people. And so I wanted to just read this part for the mamas really quickly before I go into my other story. It says here, how does guilt show up? How does mom guilt show up in our life? Researcher and therapist Brene Brown writes that the feeling of guilt is a focus on behavior where shame becomes about feelings of the self. So I didn't breastfeed long enough is feeling guilty about a behavior. And the result is that I am a bad mom. Becomes that feeling of shame about oneself. The guilt and shame pushes a mom into deep judgment of the self. A constant comparing to others where the mom believes she consistently falls short and persistent negative thoughts about the self. Moms hide these thoughts but often begin to believe they are true. Mothers then become their own worst critics. The guilt and resulting feelings of shame drive feelings, thoughts, and behaviors and can show up in some of the following ways. Now, I don't know, before we go forward with that, um, does that resonate with anybody? Because if you're killing it as a mom, I just wanna say, awesome. Like, if you, if you feel like you're killing it, I'm, I'm not even being sarcastic. I know that sounded like a sar sarcastic comment, but, uh, dear God, I don't, I don't know if I should move forward or not. No, I'm not being sarcastic. Like, like if you are legitimately doing a good job, Hillary, you're like a plus mom. So she's amazing. Yes. She's our children's pastor and she is killing it as a mom, but everyone else in the room, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Great job. However, um, there are some symptoms that I think are associated with mom guilt that I'm going to show right here. And I just wanted to get, I wanted to put this up here because I want women to be able to see and identify what other women are going through or maybe see themselves in some of these things. So that's why I said, if you want to take a, a screenshot, you can, but some of these symptoms of mom guilt are depression and anxiety. Moms start to feel down. Most of the time they have fatigue, anger, or intense obtrusive worry or low self-worth among other symptoms. Negative thoughts, I should not go back to work because I'm abandoning my baby, I'm a bad mother. The thoughts become belief and then self-worth decreases. 
massive amounts of time and energy focused on social media. Okay, this one was the one that got me. <laughs> okay, and this is why. This is, this is my uh, explanation of how I can um, rectify saying that everybody's running from something. Because when my kids get kind of hyped up and crazy at home and I have had the longest day ever and I am exhausted and I just want to relax and they're just demanding and asking me for things and mom, 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 mom. I run away to my social media. I'm not sure what's happening here. I don't know what's going on, but I run and I retreat into my phone. Does anyone else do that or is that just me? Am I just a bad mom? Bad moms? No, I, I retreat. I run into my social media. And so I, just, I will find myself losing myself in my phone and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And I'll actually like be ignoring my kids. You know, this is one of the symptoms of mom guilt because I feel like I'm so overwhelmed at the demands and all the things that are needed. I just shut down and I just look at my phone. Okay. Anyone else? No. All right. I'll move on then. Overdoing, overworking and overscheduling. Here, we're grappling with the mom's belief that if a mom does more and ignores the guilt, the better she will feel. But this behavior can lead to burnout and becoming physically unwell. Addictive behaviors. A mom may begin drinking, using drugs, overspending, or find other ways to find a quick fix to feel better. These are the things that I was talking about if you're in one of the categories where you run to the wrong things to feel better. These are thing, the wrong things to run to when you start to feel guilt driving your life. Perfectionism. A mom may hope to avoid her feelings by trying to come across as though she has it all together. She may want to appear perfect even though she fears judgment, failure, and is in pain. And I think guilt is the engine that is driving us to run. Guilt is a big engine to drive us to run from our responsibilities, from getting healthy in certain areas where we need to get healthy. Guilt is a big one. And I was thinking about guilt and how uh, two of the disciples, I mentioned that the disciples ran and scattered away when Jesus was arrested. Two of the disciples really did the wrong thing when it came to Jesus. One of them was Judas, and he betrayed him with 30 pieces of silver, um, sold him into the hands of his killers. The other one denied him that he even knew him three times. But the difference between Peter, who denied him three times, denied that he knew him, and Judas, the difference between the two of them is that one let guilt drive him to his grave and the other one let guilt drive him back to grace. That's the difference. That's the difference when we start to let, when we start to have guilt drive us to the healthy places because everybody experiences guilt. So you can't tell me that you don't experience it, but it, it's where you let it drive you because it's the engine. It's driving you somewhere. You might as well let it drive you into the arms of Jesus. You might as well let it drive you into the grace that you need. And 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And then the rest of that scripture says, because when I am weak, then I am strong. 
In other words, when I recognize where I am weak, that's actually becoming the magnet to draw God's power into my situation and into my life where I can start running towards the roar and I can start overcoming the fear and the intimidation and the feeling overwhelmed and being exhausted and being depressed and anxious and everything that is threatening to kill us, threatening to take us out. We're not going to allow the enemy to define the storyline anymore. Because his grace is sufficient. And when we let guilt drive us to grace, we actually become more powerful than what we could face in our own strength. That's what the scripture says. And uh, there was a well-known evangelist. His name was John Stott. And he was invited to speak at a university in Australia for like a conference. And it was multiple nights uh, in a row. And by the end of the last night he was supposed to speak and he had completely lost his voice and he 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 was like I God I don't know how I'm gonna do this I don't know how I'm gonna speak and he actually had asked some of the conference planners if he could get a replacement for that night because he just didn't think he was gonna be able to make it through preaching the gospel and um, unfortunately they had not been able to find anyone and so he said okay I'm gonna do it the one thing he asked for before he got on stage for that last night was somebody to come in and read this scripture over him over and over and over again because his voice was weak. He, wasn't able, he, he didn't know how he was going to be able to deliver what God asked him to deliver, the message that God asked him to deliver without a voice. So he just kept saying that over himself and had somebody pray that over him. He got up there and he basically croaked the, the whole message out the gospel message out probably was not able to you know really in, incite his personality into the talk he wasn't really he wasn't able to do any voice inflection like what i'm able to do he wasn't able to do any of it it was just a very dry depiction of the gospel he ended up finishing up and going back home and then in years later years past he, he had traveled back and forth to australia many different times and what happened was, is that every single time he had gone back to Australia, he was very well known there. He had multiple people come up to him on every trip and say, I don't know if you remember that night that you lost your voice, where your voice was really weak, but that was the night that I gave my life to Jesus. Like that was the night that made the most difference in my spiritual life because his grace is sufficient for us and his power actually rests on us when we are weakest. So moms, when we say, yeah, I'm gonna take the mask off and I deal with depression. I deal with being addicted to my screen all the time. When, when we say, when we get real about our weaknesses, that is the magnet to draw God's power into our life where we can overcome whatever it is that we are running from. The last story that I want to tell you is of a woman, of course, because it's Mother's Day, of where a woman ran. And she's not a major character of the Bible. She's, um, what's interesting is she's not a very visible character. But I think it's interesting that we tend to associate visibility with importance. This woman was very important to the story of the Bible. Her name was Hagar. And she was um, the maidservant of Abraham, Abraham's wife. And Abraham was very important to God and his plan. Uh, pivotal. He is the father of the Israelite people. So God visits Abraham and he says to him, you're going to have a son. 
And when he says this to him, he's like 100 years old, and he believes God, but he's not really quite sure how that's going to happen. Like, have you ever had a promise delivered to your life, and, but you're like, okay, God, I believe you, but not really sure how that's going to happen because all the odds stack up against it, okay? That shows the faith of a believer, okay? Sarah, on the other hand, responded quite differently, okay? She was like, what? She goes, I'm like 100 years old. How in the world am I going to have a baby right now? Are you kidding me? She's like, I, I, I'm, I, how is this promise going to come to pass? So Abraham convinces her, and I guess she kept quiet and then probably just waited to see what would happen. This is the problem. When you get a promise delivered over your life or you're believing for something over your life and it takes a little longer than what you think, we can become impatient. And impatient in the waiting seasons can be dangerous because we start creating our own solutions. We try to start bringing about the, um, the, the promise before we go through a process. And then we come up with these um, pseudo pseudo promises almost like they kind of look like it but kind of not because we put our hands on it and so this is what Sarah did Sarah says to Abraham I'm going to give you my maidservant Hagar and you're going to lie with her and she's going to give birth hopefully uh, that will be my lineage that will be my legacy she gets impatient and she pushes another woman into her man's bed okay let's let's just all be more patient <laughs> ladies Okay, remember that next time you feel impatient about something. Don't be like Sarah. All right. But Hagar gets pregnant, and when two women share a man, claws come out. And that's what happened. The Bible talks about how Sarah held her, in, or Hagar held Sarah in contempt, and then Sarah started mistreating her. And, you know, I, I oftentimes ask the question it was not her fault you, Sarah. Like, I kind of like wrestle with that a little bit. Like, I'm like, she didn't ask for that. Why is she in this situation now? And some of us can maybe identify with that too. We've been in situations that we didn't ask for. We don't understand how we got there. We don't understand why we're being persecuted for it. God has a plan and you got to trust him with it. You don't need to run away from it. You got to run towards it, run towards the grace Get yourself some help and get healed. Get wisdom. In Genesis 16, 7 through 11 and 13, it says, Then Sarai mistreated Hagar. So she ran. She ran away. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the, de in the desert. It was the spring that is behind, beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away. For my mistress, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. You see, God always will give you a promise. If he doesn't really let you into the process or why it's happening, he will give you a promise. Okay? And you have to obey. You have to trust him. And so it says, now you are pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. 
That's why I titled this message, You Can Run, But You Can't Hide. You can run from that marriage. You can run from that debt. You can run from that relationship, that frustration, that job where you don't feel like you're successful. But you can never hide from the presence of God. God will always find you. He is the God who sees you so that no matter what season you feel like you're in, if you feel like you're being driven by mom guilt, driven crazy by your kids, or overwhelmed by your work, God sees you. You can run away, but you can't hide from his presence. And right now, I believe today he wants to tell somebody that he sees you. He sees what you've been going through. He sees how hard it's been and how it's so discouraging. And he sees the process that you have been in. But there is a promise on the other side that he wants you to to run to. He doesn't want you to run away from it when it gets hard. He will always find you. No matter what season you're in, if you've been running from him or if you've been following him for 30 years, he will find you no matter what. And I'd like the worship team to come join me as I close this story. There was an earthquake in the 1980s in the country of Armenia and it killed 25,000 people almost instantly. I mean, it was, it was a terror. And there was a man who had an elementary age son. And he got his son up that morning before the earthquake happened, got him ready for school, probably got him dressed, helped him brush his teeth, drove him to school like normal, said, I love you, buddy. I'll see you. I'll see you in the afternoon. When I pick you up, I'll be right here. The father turned around, turned his car around and drove away, drove down the road and instantly in seconds he starts seeing buildings collapse around him. Debris, rocks piling up, the dust is blinding him. He can't even, he can't even drive straight. And he, can even, he wasn't far enough away from the elementary school where he could still look in the rear view mirror and he could have seen where the elementary school was. And as he looked in the rearview mirror, there was nothing there. And so the terror that strikes a father's heart at the thought of losing his young son, he, he whips the car around as best he can, and he starts driving back towards where he believes uh, the site where his elementary school, where his son was at in elementary school. And he drives over there and it's, it's, it's just, it's piles of rock. And panic and terror strike him and he can only do one thing. He gets out of his car and he runs over to the, the site and he just starts digging. Just starts pulling boulders off of where he believes his son was. Starts digging, he's digging for an hour. And an hour becomes two hours. And two hours becomes five hours. And five hours becomes 12 hours. And then 12 hours becomes 24 hours. And people are coming up to him and they're like, Dad, or yeah, Dad, you can't, you can't keep going. I mean, this is, this is madness. Nobody would have survived. Nobody could have survived this. 25,000 people were dead. 
And he just keeps going. He, keeps, he, he just ignores the critics. He ignores everything that they're saying. And he keeps digging. And he keeps digging because he believes he's going to find his son. 36 hours after he has been digging straight through the night, sun up, sun down, he hears a voice. He says, Daddy! Very faint, but he heard it. And it makes him start digging even faster. And then people started coming around and started helping him uncover what was a cavern that had protected 13 kids. One of them was his son and a teacher. You see, no matter how deep you are buried, God will always try to find you. He will always come after you. That is the story of a human father's love. But my God is bigger and he will always find you so there's no need to run there's no need to let guilt drive you to your grave of depression or anxiety or frustration let it drive you to grace would you stand with me